Well, good morning, 11.30 service. See, I knew that was going to happen. You guys do know Jesus rose from the dead, right? And that, you know, the 8 o'clock was more animated than you. So let's try this again. Good morning, 11.30 service. Mm, love it. All right, good. Sometimes I wonder about you, but I love you anyways. So here's the deal today. We are wrapping up a 14 or 12-week series in the Ten Commandments. We did two setup messages, and then we're looking at all Ten Commandments. And I have saved a special guest preacher for our very last week, and I want to introduce him to you right now. So give me a few minutes, because some of you who are relatively newer to our church don't know who this guy is, and you need to, because this is a really close friend of our church. Uh, 60 years ago, Scottsdale Bible Church was formed, which is a long time here in the Valley. Over the last 60 years, we have had six senior pastors. I came here 14 years ago. Before I came, we had five previous senior pastors, and one of the most beautiful things about our church is that every one of them who are still alive, they are, are godly men, wonderful teachers of the Bible, and there is not a hint of scandal in the history of our church. I say that humbly, but also very grateful to God that he has had his hand on this church and that every one of our senior pastors are men that we trust and rely on and would welcome back any time. When I came here 14 years ago, we had a senior pastor between Daryl and my arrival named Dr. Larry Anderson. Some of you know and remember Larry uh, Larry obviously has more than a right to pastor a church like this. He's been in ministry for 45 years. He had a national leadership role with Young Life and then has pastored a couple of congregations since that time. And when I came here 14 years ago, Larry was our senior pastor and was now moving into a different role. And what most people don't know is that for the first two years of my transition here, uh, Larry guided me. Uh, literally every day in the tumultuous waters of transitioning to Scottsdale Bible Church. And I can safely say that if it wasn't for Larry, I mean, God is sovereign. I trust him with everything in me. But if it wasn't for Larry, I, I don't know if I would have stayed on uh, during those early years because Larry was such a formative influence in me. He was such an influence that after a couple of years as he helped me transition here, uh, I at one point said to him, kind of like the king said to Esther, I said, what do you want, Larry? Up to half the kingdom, it's yours. What do you want? And he said to me at that time, and again, some of you will remember this back in the day, he said, I'd love to pastor North Campus. We had a North Campus at that time. And they were ready for their own pastor anyway, and so uh, we gave Larry North Campus. He rebadged it North Bible Church, and for 10 years, Larry pastored, even longer, 12 years, North Bible Church, and most recently, about a year ago, uh, retired and is now doing consulting. He's actually helping us with some projects and has helped other churches. Uh, the reason I asked Larry, it's not just because one of our previous pastors, but to, to give the message today, and it's important you know this, <laughs> is because I can't think of anybody better to talk to us about what it means to not covet than Larry Anderson. Case in point, I had breakfast with him this week. We have breakfast every week, and I had breakfast with him when I walked him out to his car, and I looked at his car, and it's, it's a nice-looking Lexus. It's Scottsdale, right? And a nice-looking Lexus. And I said to him, what year is this? And he said, it's a 2006 
And I said, this is the car you had when I moved here? And he said, yeah. And I thought, I, I've had, okay, embarrassing, I've had 29 cars since I moved here. I'm a car guy. And I thought, I am not a poster child to talk about not coveting. Larry is. And he said to me, the reason I've had this car so long is that it's paid off. It's still low mileage. Why would I need another one? I thought, this guy needs to speak to us about what it means to not covet. He's going to be very positive in his orientation. I've heard the message twice. You're in for a treat. I want you guys to give a really good Scottsdale Bible welcome. That's why I picked on you earlier about not being animated. Give a great Scottsdale Bible welcome to our friend, Dr. Larry Anderson. Thank you. Thanks so much. Well, thank you. No pressure, huh? So I just want to say that... um, if you've never been here before, if this is your first time and uh, you, you don't like it this morning, uh, come back next week. Jamie will be here. It's awesome. He's really good. And, uh, you know, uh, it's such a privilege to be here. This, this is a great church. Uh, I'm so grateful. It's been fun to cheer and watch uh, Jamie's leadership and the team here that does such an amazing job. And uh, Scottsdale Bible has a reputation in many parts of the world uh, for, uh, you know, your focus on scripture, your love for Jesus, their generosity uh, is remarkable. And I bump into it, in, you know, all over the place. And so thank you for all that you do and uh, continue to do for the, God's kingdom. Uh, and, and through this church, we really appreciate it. And it's wonderful it's wonderful to watch, and um, I just want to encourage you in that. Uh, we're finishing this series on uh, the Ten Commandments, and the, the Tenth Commandment is uh, not to covet, and I get to give that sermon on the busiest shopping weekend of the year, so thank you for that <laughs> privilege. It's a, a, a wonderful thing. Uh, and we're all, and, you know, we have Black Friday sales and we're all, you know, people are scurrying around buying things and looking at things. But we want to take a, a, a look this morning at what it means to covet. And, and this idea of thou shalt not covet is a bookend. It's a perfect bookend to the first Commandment that uh, have no other gods before me, uh, that nothing should come uh, before God in your life. And then the idea of coveting is that's sort of how we get there. That's kind of how we allow things to get in front of God in our lives. It's how we think about the things in our lives. And so we're going to look at this idea of what it means not to covet. And we're going to look this morning as we tie this whole uh, series together uh, about how do we live a life that fulfills the Ten Commandments? How do we live a life that, that doesn't break these commandments? So as we, um, as we get ready, let's pray together, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the privilege that you've given us to be here. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are present here with us. 
And we acknowledge your presence and we thank you for that. And now we ask, Lord, as we turn our minds to your word, that you would speak to us, that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us this morning, that you would use this time for your glory and for your kingdom. So speak to us, I pray, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus, the 20th chapter and the 17th verse uh, reads like this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male or female servants, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That is the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not or you shall not covet. Uh, and uh, covet in the Hebrew is, it's a Hebrew word, hamud. We don't really have a good English translation for it, but it carries with it the idea of something that I really want, something that I desire, that I crave, uh, something I really want to go after. It's not necessarily a, a negative word. It can mean something that I delight in, uh, some, something that I want to work toward. But when, when it's taken in this context, and, and this is why it's spelled out for us, the idea, thou shalt not covet, something that belongs to my neighbor, something that belongs to someone else. That's what this passage is telling us. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. We live in Scottsdale, for goodness sakes. People covet houses here, right? I mean, this is the market for it. Uh, thou shall not covet your neighbor's spouse, wife, husband, uh, his male or female servant, anything that he has, his ox or his donkey, and maybe here it's his car. Uh, what, what else? What, you know, think about the things that, that we think about. And here's the, here's the challenge with this whole idea of covetousness, and it's what we think about. You know, the scripture says, the, the Timothy commandments, in fact, say, don't commit adultery. Then Jesus said, even thinking about someone's spouse is the same. Covetousness is that thinking. You are what you think about. And so the idea of coveting is that you think about that and then it becomes your, your preoccupation. It's what you think about all the time. It sort of captures your thinking, your imagination, and it begins to, to, it begins to change how you will go about life, how you feel about other people. They have something that you want. They have something that you deserve. They have something that will make you happier. And, uh, and so we go after those things that we think will make us feel happier, will make us feel more content, will make us feel better uh, about ourselves. And we begin to fixate on those things. And this commandment says that do not covet your neighbor's stuff. Don't go after that. Change the way you're thinking. Change what you think about what you do. It, it says, do not covet. It doesn't say, don't work hard. It, it doesn't say, don't achieve things in your life. It says, don't covet what your neighbor has. Don't think about, don't compare yourself to somebody else and say, I really need what they have to feel good. I really need what they have to feel like life is fair that I have what I deserve. He says, don't go after those things. And we sell that all of the time. Think about this. We, have you ever seen a commercial with sad people? No. They're pitching you something and they're deliriously happy about it. 
And the idea is, if I can just get that product, if I can just get that thing, I can be deliriously happy, I can be more content in my life, and that's how they sell us things, and then we see somebody that has it, or somebody that has a shinier car, or has something nice, and we like it, and we begin to think about, wait a minute, I should have that, and we begin to covet God calls for his people to take a different approach to their neighbors. Uh, He calls us to respect them and their possessions. Uh, He calls us to live a different life with a, a different focus. It forbids us to covet what belongs to another. And unlike all of the other commandments, this deals with the inner feelings and that how we think about things. And that's a big deal. And and I know this morning that I can't tell you stop thinking about it because then that's all you can think about, right? But I can talk to you about what the scripture tells us to think about that makes those not matter at all to us. So it's not about working hard. Uh, It's not you're bad if you have things, but it's a preoccupation with what other people have. And we've all had the experience of coveting. We all share that experience. We all know what that's like. And so the real question is not that we covet, but the real question is how do we stop? What do we do? How do we live our lives above that? How do we live our lives uh, in a different way? What's the cure for coveting? And that's what we want to look at this morning. There's a... I don't know about you, but uh, in my life, I have um, a life passage. Now, some people have life verses, you know, that they, they're, they're kind of their go-to verses in the scripture. And um, I'm, I'm, I must be a slower learner because I require a whole life passage uh, that I go to on a regular basis. And, and I go to this and I evaluate my own life and I refocus myself, I recenter myself based on this passage Uh, of scripture, and it helps me in this whole area of the Ten Commandments. It helps me in this whole area of coveting, and it comes from Philippians, the second chapter, uh, verses 5 through 11. Here's what it says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I want to stop there for a quick second. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here's what the Apostle Paul is telling us. He's saying, I want you to have the mind of Christ. I want you to think like Jesus. That's the goal for us, to to have his thoughts, to think the way Jesus thought. So he says, think like Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So let me stop there again. Who, though he was in the very form of God, you could also translate this, that he was the very essence of God, that Jesus was God. All of the attributes, all of the glory, all that we know about God, you can find in Jesus Christ. He was the very essence, the very form of God, but he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but 
emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. So we have Jesus. He says, have this mind of Christ. Think like Jesus, who is the very essence of God, the very form of God. But he did not consider that equality with God a thing to be held onto, a thing to be grasped, a, a, a thing to, to, to not let go of. But he emptied himself. And when I get to that part of the passage, every time I have to ask myself the question, what are you holding on to? What are you grasping? What have you decided that's so important that you've got to hang on for dear life? What have you decided it's so important in your life, that's so prominent in your life, that, that you have to hold on to it? that you have to grasp it. Because if you think like Jesus, he was the very essence of God, all the glory, all the magnificence of the creator. And he opened his hands and emptied himself of that glory for our sake. What am I holding on to? Maybe it's my pride. Maybe it's reputation. Maybe it's something else. But, but whatever it is that I'm clinging to, I need to open my hands and let go of. I can't grasp those things. I can't let those things be the focus of my life. But I need to think like Jesus. And he emptied himself. He became, literally became nothing for us. By taking the form of a servant, a slave, being found in the likeness of men. <laughs> and uh, so think about that for a second, okay? Jesus empties himself. He becomes a slave and in order to be like us. That's how we qualify. Jesus gave all of that up to, be, uh, to become, uh, to be found in human form. And then he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, we highlighted the word humbled. Jesus humbled himself. I had a mentor years ago, a pastor who told me, Larry, Never pray, Lord, make me more humble. Pray, Lord, humiliate me so I might be humble. That sort of catches your breath, doesn't it? Don't pray, Lord, make me more humble. Pray, Lord, humiliate me so that I might be humble. Do you realize Jesus was humiliated for our sake? He was drugged through the streets, forced to carry his own cross. He was crucified in front of all of those people. He was nailed to that cross for us. They humiliated him and he did it for our sake. So we don't pray, Lord, make me more humble so I can feel better about myself. <clears throat> we say, Lord, humiliate me so that I might be a humble person. And you, you know the definitions of the humility, right? You don't <clears throat> think less of yourself. You think less about yourself. We start putting other people's needs in front of our own. We start looking toward others. We start sensing what they might need in, in front of us. We try to think like Jesus. That's what that humility looks like. It's simply what Jesus did. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient uh, to the point of death, even death on the cross. He became obedient. He he went all the way for us, all the way to the cross. 
And the Apostle Paul adds, even death on the cross, because he wanted his readers to understand that this was the worst way to die. This was the most humiliating, the most excruciating, the most frightening way of execution that the Romans could come up with. They perfected it. Uh, they loved to crucify people, and Christ was crucified for us. So when Paul says, all the way to death, even death on the cross, he's saying that he suffered the worst kind of death that they could imagine. That's what Jesus did. And then Paul says, think like Jesus. Open your hands, empty yourself. Ask the Lord, what am I grasping? Because compared to what Jesus did, it's pretty embarrassing, isn't it? The kinds of things that we hold on to, the kinds of things that we grasp in our lives that we think are so important, the, the kinds of things that we allow to get between us and the Lord, it's, it's, it's pretty embarrassing when we think about how trivial those are compared to what Jesus did for us. And then he goes to verse nine, and I love this because there's a big therefore. And if you read the Bible, you know that when there's a word like therefore, or it's like so, or something like that, it's saying because of what's already happened, because Jesus in the very essence of God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped and emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being found in the likeness of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Because Jesus did all of that, it says that God has highly exalted him. God has raised him up and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's who Jesus is. And he did not exalt himself. He didn't need to impress us. He didn't need to prove himself to us. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, death on the cross, and God exalted him. And as we sit here today, God does the exalting. We can count on him for that. We don't have to worry about reputation. We don't have to worry about impressing people. We don't have to worry about anything because God takes care of that. What we have to worry about is who we're following, what our life looks like, how we're living our lives for him, what are we holding on to or what are we letting go of? Those are the things that he's called us to think about, that he's called us to live for. That's what Christ has called us to. And let God exalt. Let God lift up. Let God do all of that because it's all for his glory anyway. You see, if anything happens in, in our lives and God doesn't get the glory, then it, we might be in trouble we might be a little bit off. We might be a, a, a little bit out there. We need to look at all of that. So this is a life passage for me because I need to go back regularly and ask myself the questions for my life that come up as I read that passage. Lord, what are you calling me to do? Where is my life not right? What am I holding on to that, that I, I need to let go of? And if I want to live this life, if I want to think like Jesus, then periodically I, I need to go to this passage and I need to take an inventory of my life and sort of see where I am. I have another tool 
that I used to take an inventory in my, my life. And I got it from a friend of mine who was an Alcoholics Anonymous. And he said, they, they use this and I loved it. So I've just kept it for years. Uh, and, and it's this acronym HALT. It's never get too hungry, too angry, too lonely, or too tired. HALT. It's kind of clever, isn't it? You can remember that. HALT. Never get too hungry, too angry, too lonely, or too tired. And, and I think about this um, so I ask myself those questions, those four questions. And, and the so the first question I ask myself is, where am I hungry? Where am I experiencing hunger in my life? And I gotta be honest that it's rarely for food. That I've plenty of food. It, it's, it's often other things in my life that I find myself hungering for. Maybe it's an 07 car, you know? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something that I see that somebody else has and, and gosh, they, they look so successful and prominent and happy and good. And, and I think I, I, I should have that. I've worked really hard for all these years. I, I've been on, the, on God's team, you know? I'm one of the good guys. I, I ought to have a little bit of that for whatever reason. And I, and I start to hunger after something. And so when I come to this inventory, I have to ask myself, Larry, what have you been hungering for? And if it's not Jesus, then you're, you need to do something about it. What are, what are we hungering for? What are those things in our lives that we find ourselves hungering for? Well, the second question that we ask ourselves is, uh, where am I angry? And we're in church, so we're all good people, and, and so we keep our anger just under the surface, right? Um, don't let it get too far out ahead of you. And, and so we, we keep that anger in, but, uh, but we feel anger, and I start looking at my life, and where am I experiencing anger, and, and where do I feel anger? And one of, the, one, one of the convictions I have is that most of my anger, when I feel anger, is unfulfilled expectations. I was expecting something uh, from someone or for whatever reason, and I didn't get it. I had an expectation that wasn't met, and it makes me angry. I feel cheated. I feel slighted uh, because I had that expectation and that makes, and I experience anger. That makes me angry. And, and so I have to let go of that. I have to open that up. I have to empty that out of my life because if, if I was angry at somebody and they have no idea what I was angry about and how, how do I justify my anger? If I need to go some, to talk to somebody, then so be it. Let's do that. But I need to deal with it, whatever it is in my life. So don't get too hungry, too angry. And then loneliness is sort of interesting, isn't it? That maybe you're here this morning and you're in this big crowd of people and you feel lonely. You can be surrounded by people and you, you still feel lonely where you are. You feel, you feel isolated and we, we can all do that because uh, uh, by, by nature, we all keep secrets. By, by nature, we all have things in our lives that we don't want anybody else to know about. And, and so we'll guard those and, and that causes us to pull away a little bit from uh, significant relationships and, and it causes us to get a little quiet or we keep secrets. It's easy to lie, you know, easier to lie if you're trying to keep secrets. It's easier to do other things if you're trying to keep secrets in your life and you find yourself being more and more isolated. And if you find yourself lonely, you need to ask yourself, how have I been isolating myself from others? Maybe it's from your spouse. Maybe it's from somebody else. I, I tell men all the time that, that I think all men need at least two guys in their lives that they can't lie to. That, that when they're with them, they just automatically have to tell them the truth. That's the rules of the relationship. 
You got to be honest with them because we need people in our lives that we can speak the truth to, that are safe enough for us to tell the truth to. Uh, otherwise, we find ourselves lonely, we find ourselves isolated, then we begin to keep secrets and, and we begin to you know, say things that aren't true. We begin to hide all of those things and it cripples us on the inside. And we find ourselves thinking about things and doing things that aren't in, they, they aren't in our best interest and they certainly aren't honoring to the Lord. So never get too hungry, too angry, too lonely, or too tired. And I gotta say that when you think about tired, the first three are exhausting, right? Just trying to track those first three uh, make me tired. Uh, but, but I start thinking about what are the things in my life? How do I feel? Do I feel tired? What makes me feel tired? What in my life is, is causing that uh, in me? What do I do about it? How do I let go of that? Where do we go to find rest? We have all of these great ideas, but finding rest is one of the ways that we learn to covet, isn't it? Because we, we think of people that are off in the Bahamas and Hawaii and all these places and having fun. And, and apparently the weather's always perfect wherever they are and it's not perfect wherever I am. And we have all of these thoughts that go through our minds because we're thinking about rest or maybe we're tired, but maybe it's something else. Maybe we're tired on the inside, tired of the way we've been living, tired of the way we've been thinking, uh, tired of the things that we've been telling ourselves. And we need to bring those to the Lord. We need to empty those things not grasp those things, but give them to him. So never get too angry, too lonely, or too tired. Take a little inventory of your life. What, what fits for me? What do I need to think about? What do I need to maybe let go of in my life and, and go from there? A couple of other words that really help me as I think about this. The first word that comes to mind is, glad, is, is gladness or I'm sorry, gratefulness. Gratefulness is to be thankful or appreciative. Romans 12, 28 says, therefore, let us be grateful. We're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Gratefulness. Think about it this way. Jesus Christ came and he walked among us and he showed us how to live. And then they, they arrested him and they mocked him and they beat him and then they crucified him on a cross and then he rose again and all of that happened was so that I could have life in him, so that I could be forgiven, so that I could experience eternal life through Jesus Christ. He went through this life, he went through death on the cross, he rose again so that I might have life and so no matter what else is going on in my life, no matter what else my position is or my status is, I should be the happiest guy on the planet because Jesus has already done the most important thing. He's given himself for me. He's given up his life and he rose again and he's given me that power to have eternal life, life in him, an abundant life. And everything else it is just gravy. Everything else is an extra. All the other experiences, because I've already got the most important thing in my life. I have Jesus. I have his life. I have eternal life through him. He's given me what's most important already. And I can be a grateful person. I can be a person who expresses gratitude in that way. 
So gratefulness is part of our lives. The, the other word that I thought of was contentment, to be content. So we have gratitude and gratefulness. We have contentment. The apostle Paul said, I have learned the secret of contentment. He said, I've been in places where I have all I need. I've been in places where I have nothing. I've been learned to be content in all of those things. And then he said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can experience that contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If we give uh, into coveting someone else's spouse, uh, that we'll never know contentment. If we give into coveting somebody else's stuff, their home, their toys, their things, we will never experience the contentment that God offers us. That he has promised us contentment. As we trust him, contentment and covetousness are opposites. Covetousness says, I need that. I won't be happy without it. It isn't fair. I don't have it. I want more than anything. I I want more than anything else. I want that more than anything else. Uh, Contentment says, I have what I need. I'm happy in the Lord. He does good to all. I want nothing more than I have. So if you aren't content, you're almost certainly coveting. And the truth about contentment is, that all good things in my life come through Jesus. And there is no real contentment apart from him. I learned this from my my grandmother. My grandmother was a saint. And uh, she was very poor. Uh, my, My grandfather was a great guy, but he was a Scotsman. And he had a fondness for the adult beverage that comes from that country. So that's where all their money went. But uh, uh, she, she didn't have uh, much, but uh, so when he retired finally, she got a job down the street at a Dairy Queen in her 60s, went to work at a Dairy Queen so she could put a $5 bill in our birthday cards or she could send a little bit of money to buy birthday, Christmas presents you know, to my folks for, for her grandkids. Uh, that, that's what she did. And, and um, there were two things that could always make my grandmother cry. One, when she talked about Jesus. She would always cry when she talked about Jesus. She just loved Jesus. He was everything to her. Uh, He meant everything in her life and in her world. And then the second thing that she uh, cried when she talked about was heaven. She had this idea, this picture of heaven in her life. And she would tell me, Larry, someday I'm in a, I'm going to be in heaven and I'm going to walk up to those pearly gates and then I'm going to stroll down those streets of gold and there are going to be rivers like, like milk and honey flowing next to me. And do you know that Jesus has gone ahead and he's preparing this place. And when I get to heaven, I'm, I'm going to have a mansion and I'm going to live in a mansion for eternity. So it really doesn't matter what I don't have here. It really doesn't matter what other people might have here because I know where I'm going and I know what it's going to be like for eternity. And this is such a short amount of time that we're all here. Why would I worry about that? I'm going to focus on where I'm going and what I'm going to get later on because, of, because I love of Jesus, and she would focus on that in her life, and she was content because of that. And, and you know, you might feel like you're a biblical scholar, and heaven doesn't look like that, but I wouldn't bet against my grandma. 
<laughs> she, she told me there's streets of gold. I'm, go get them, Grandma. There must be. For you, I bet. Jesus would probably do whatever. But she was content because she had something that she was looking for. She had something that she believed in. You see, we've bought into this lie that we, we're supposed to create heaven on earth, that we're supposed to create heaven now, that we're supposed to get all the stuff now and always be healthy and attractive and have things and, and a good life and all the stuff. And, and my grandmother had none of those things except she knew where she was going. She knew what was out in front of her and she always kept her eyes on the prize that she was gonna spend eternity with Jesus. And that would make her cry. And I think about that a lot. I think about her and that secret to her contentment and that secret to her gratefulness that she knew where she was going and she knew what was ahead for her. And so she didn't have to worry about all the other stuff because this is what really mattered. This is where she was focused. And I can get so distracted and I can get lost in all the stuff that we have in front of us and all the stuff that we think we need and all the stuff that we think we want. And I can forget about what's coming, what's ahead and what's really real. My grandmother reminds me of that. So let me just sum this up because I'd like to take all of the 10 commandments and, and I'd like to give us a conclusion. I'd like to tie it all up for us and, and talk about for just a minute how to obey all of the Ten Commandments, how to keep them all. Because, you know, nobody really wants to take their bookmark and just sort of keep it with them all day and stare at it and make sure that you haven't broken any of them, right? And you kind of check them off during the day. Okay, I think I'm good on this one and this one. Oops, you know, we don't want to do that. But how can we sum it all up? How can we put it together so that we, we have a sense that we're gonna keep those 10 commandments? Well, Jesus gave us the answer to that. And we can find it in several places, but one is Matthew, the 22nd chapter, beginning at verse 35. There was a time that Jesus was teaching and uh, uh, a lawyer, it says in one of them, a lawyer asked him, referring to Jesus, a question in order to test him. And uh, said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So he came up to try to test Jesus and he said, take all of the commandments, all the commandments that we have and what's the most important one? What's the one that we should all have our focus on? What is the number one commandment? And Jesus said, here it is. They shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. He said, that is the great and first commandment. And we think, okay, great. I'm in church. I love Jesus. I can do that. But he knew our hearts, right? Jesus knows us. And so he said, Here's, let me show you, let me tell you how you show that love. Let me tell you how to put that love into action. He said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. Do you want to keep all of the commandments? You want to, you want to have it all down? Then do these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And all of the other commandments are tied up into those two. 
That's how you do it. Now I have a confession to make. I'm really good at loving me. I don't know about you, but I'm really good at that. I'm good at thinking about me. I'm good at loving me. I'm good at putting myself first. And Jesus is saying this, look, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Give yourself away, but it begins with, it's an expression. How I care for my neighbor is an expression of how I love Jesus. You see, you just can't get off the hook by saying, okay, I love Jesus, I'm good. Because he says, no, let me tell you how you show it. Let me tell you how you live that out. You live it out by loving your neighbor at least as much as you love yourself. Come on. And then he qualified it a little bit more later in John 13, beginning at verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give you. Oh boy, here's something, a brand new one I give you. And that is that you love one another. Well, no, Jesus, that doesn't seem like it's that new. I've heard that one before, but here's the caveat. Here's where everything gets changed. He says, uh, love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And now he just blew it all out of the water. He raised the bar so high that it's unbelievable. He said, here's how I want you to express your love. I want you to love one another as I've loved you. Oh my goodness. Christ, who is the very essence of God, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, became a servant, being found in the likeness of men, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what he did for me. He loved me so much that he died on a cross for me, that he gave his life for me. And now he tells me that's how I'm supposed to love you. That's how we're supposed to love each other. The bar is really high. And on my best day, I'll jump as high and hard as I can. And I don't think, I can't tip the bottom of that. It's a lifelong goal of mine to, be, to learn what it means to love my neighbor the way Jesus has loved me. But I'm gonna stick with it. I'm gonna keep trying. Because that's the commandment. A new commandment I give you to love one another as I have loved you. That's where he set the bar. That's what we live for. You want to know what it looks like? Do you, know what, how to, you want to know how to fulfill the 10 commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as Christ has loved you. That's what we do. And look at what he says. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. No, he didn't say be a killer in Bible trivia and everybody will know you're one of my disciples, right? He, he didn't say have the best score in, in the memorization game and everybody will know you're one of my disciples. He didn't say get perfect attendance in church and everybody will know you're one of my disciples. He said, love one another as I've loved you and the world will see that you're my disciple. The world will see what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus by how we love each other. And if we love the Lord and we love our neighbor as Christ has loved us, then you won't have to worry 
about fulfilling the Ten Commandments. You won't have to worry about breaking the Ten Commandments because your eyes are going to be focused on Christ. Your eyes are going to be focused on Jesus. How does he want me to live? It's not... It's not about not doing, it's about what we do, it's about where we focus, it's about what matters in our lives. All right, so every week you guys have gone over the Ten Commandments, and this is our last time, so we're going to read the Ten Commandments one more time together, and we're going uh, to focus on those and be reminded this is the last opportunity in a service to get these permanently seared into your consciousness. So let's together, that means you and me, all of us, let's read these together. Thou shalt have no other gods, okay, no idols, no taking God's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath holy, honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. Do you want to live out the Ten Commandments? Don't focus on disobeying one of them. Focus on loving Jesus and pleasing him. This is our goal. It's our focus. And I want to finish this way. I want to share one last thing. I made a decision that I want to finish my race more in love with Jesus than when I started. That the day I leave this earth, I want to be more passionate about Christ than the day I started following him. I don't want that to change. I want it to grow. I want to love Jesus more when I'm done than when I began. I want my love for him to continue to grow. I want that to be the focus of my life. And I would pray this morning that that would be the focus for all of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of sharing your word together. Thank you, Lord, for how you speak to us. Lord, I ask that where we need to be convicted, that you would convict us this morning, where we need to be encouraged, that, that we would be encouraged in you, that you would use this time in your word uh, to strengthen us, uh, to bless us, Lord, to draw us closer to you, and to refocus our hearts and our minds on who you've called us to be. So Lord, we thank you for that. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.